0: Dear God, I thank you for each person here. We are grateful for your many, many blessings. Lord, we do lift up uh, so many different things in the world are going on. Um, I think of Ukraine and and just that war, and we pray for those people, ask for protection and for help. We pray for wisdom for those in leadership positions uh, around the world, and we just ask for your hand to be on that particular situation Lord, I think of, I personally had a roommate um, in seminary who is a missionary currently in the Ukraine, and I think of John and his family, and uh, there are so many others that are there doing kingdom work, and we just ask for your special protection for them, for great wisdom as they have to make decisions about fleeing or what they're going to do, and so we just ask for that. Lord, we lift up our church. We thank you for how kind you have been to us, and we just pray for us to be people who live on mission, bring you honor with how we live, and point people faithfully and consistently to your Son Jesus. We ask for your blessing on this time together. In the name of your Son, amen. If you find an outline helpful, you can pull that out of the bulletin um, if that's how you think and learn. Uh, so this morning, as we look at Jesus. You know, you look at the great redemptive story. You have creation where God speaks and everything is made. You have this beautiful relationship between God and man and they walk together in the garden. And then there's the fall. There's the sin of man. And it just all crashes. And very quickly you see man uh, really become quite evil. You see the first murder right there in the first family. Cain and Abel, that story. You see the flood where man becomes so corrupt that, that God sends a worldwide flood in order to kind of start over. And so you see this creation. You see the fall and all the implications of that. But then you see working through history, you see God in His grace and His mercy offering us redemption. And he points to this person throughout the scripture and all these Old Testament prophecies, these Hebrew prophecies about someone is coming. This Messiah is coming. This prophet, priest, and king, this one is coming, and that is Jesus Christ. And so God brings redemption through the person and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then there is finally the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And we receive new bodies, those of us who have um, chosen to follow Jesus Christ. And so that's the overarching story. But where we're going to step in today is where Jesus is beginning his ministry and he picks some of these early followers, these early apostles, these fishermen, that he is going to offer them a whole new life. And so our primary text this morning is Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 20. And here's what it says. After John was put in prison, now that is um, John the Baptist Uh, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. And so he's talking about all those prophecies. Jesus has arrived. The kingdom of God is going to move forward in this dramatic fashion. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. Notice the authority. Notice that right out of the gate, he points to his lordship. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. I always wondered if Zebedee was mad about this, but I I don't know. We don't have any context there. But as we look at this particular passage, the first idea I want to lift out is the call. Jesus stands before these fishermen, and he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. He makes no bones about it. He doesn't hide it in the small print that a relationship with Jesus Christ is going to involve Him as not just Savior, but as Lord. And we need to understand that. We need to not hide that from people. Not pretend that, hey, you come to Christ, um, everything's rosy, you're going to you know, be f- completely fulfilled and, and do all these things, do whatever you want. That's, that's not it. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when He would look around and see that the crowds were massive... He invariably would say something very hard, or disturbing, or threatening, and the crowds would get smaller. It was like when he looks and he says, I don't think you're quite getting what I'm saying. I'm asking you to come follow me, to be Lord of your life. Come and follow me. It is crucial that we do this. He extends this offer to us. And I'm always kind of amazed at who he picks. You know, he doesn't go to the leaders of Israel. He goes to these common men, these fishermen. Pastor E.V. Hill tells about when he and his friend, Jack Rector, he said they grew up and he said we were kind of the thugs of South Texas. And here they were as young men. And he said they came to Christ And they both ended up in the ministry. And he said this one, he goes, usually sweet older lady in a church in San Antonio heard that Jack was going into the ministry. Her statement was, God is hard up these days. (laughs) It can be surprising who God calls. But he offers this call to have a relationship with him. To be in this, this intimate relationship with him is offered to every single person And they had a special role as apostles, but we are all called to join with him and join in his mission and be sent out by him. And notice he doesn't invite them to a big study of theology, to investigate an ethical system, to participate in a political movement, or we're going to focus on certain rituals. He just simply says, come and follow me. At the heart of the Christian worldview, the heart of the Christian faith, is the person of Jesus Christ. Notice that the first word of the gospel in this particular passage is repent, which literally means to change your mind. See, you have gone through life, they had gone through life thinking they're in charge. I'm going to do life my way. You know, we have the Frank Sinatra song in our culture. And Jesus says, You're going to have to change your mind. You're going to have to change your thinking. You're going to follow me. That's how life works. It's how it works best. And I'm going to invite you to fish for people. I'm going to invite you to be teachers, invite you to show people the truth and to draw them in. The authority of Jesus Christ is woven through the Bible. It's woven through the Gospels. We see it in the Gospel of Mark in lots of different ways. We see Him exercising power over the forces of darkness, specifically demons. We see Him exercising power over disease and disability. We see Him um, teaching with authority. Those that heard Him were like, this is not like anybody else we've ever heard. You see, Jesus is... Lord. And at the heart of the Christian faith, we need to get that, that He is Lord. If I were to ask you, and you're a Christian, what is your chief occupation? It is not that you're a baker or a mechanic or a teacher or a principal or a small business owner. Your chief occupation, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is just that I follow Jesus Christ. And he may change what occupation I exercise that following in. It may look different five years from now than it does right now. And at the end of life, we hope to hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. It's hard to follow, right? You ever play Simon Says? It's hard to follow. Or somebody, you're going in the same place and this person says, just follow me. And you're following this person and they're running you know, yellow lights and, and you know, making last minute turns. And it can feel that way with God... I appreciate this picture I saw on Facebook one time, and it was these two people in a, you um, know, on a roller coaster in the car, and one of them is absolutely terrified, and the other one has their hands up and they're just, you know, loving it. And the label, the the uh, title was, you know, the one that's enjoying it um, and you know enjoying all of it. They labeled that person the Holy Spirit, and the other person was the Christian. You know, like what is going on here? <laughs> Don't always know what's happening. But we have this call that first and foremost, we are followers of Jesus Christ. He is Lord. Not the government. Not stuff. Not your spouse. Not your parents. Not your boss at work. He is Lord. He is ultimately who we answer to. And there will be moments where these other cries for authority in our lives will be in, in war with what Jesus wants us to do. And so the call is the lordship. We are to follow him. The mission, he gives us part of this lordship as we bow the knee to Jesus Christ, is he invites us with him on the mission. And the mission is to fish for people. The mission is to reach lost people. When you think about what breaks the heart of God, it's lost people. He made every single one of us in His image. He desires a relationship with us. He wants us to be close. And yet, all of us have run away. All of us have defied Him. All of us have sinned. And what breaks the heart of God is to have one of His creation lost. Many of you are parents And I think all of us have had that moment where you're in a store and you turn around and your child is gone. And there's nothing like that. It is heartbreaking. And it may just be a couple minutes, but that is painful. And I think that's how God feels when people have rebelled and run from Him. And so we see that the mission is to fish for people, to find people, to bring them back into relationship with God. Notice in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 17 of our text again, it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And so that fishing for people is by sharing the good news of God. God. The time has come that Jesus is the one who fulfills all these prophecies. The kingdom of God has come near. That His lordship has begun. The age of the church that we're in. And someday, I mean, He's left. And someday He will return. And we'll see the fullness of who He is. And that lordship will exert over everyone. And so we see this... As we look at this text, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, and they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. He often uses where you were and what you know for your kingdom assignment. And He did that with them. He speaks to them in that image and in that metaphor so that they can understand it. You know, fishermen have to be perseverant. They have to persevere. They have to hang in there. There's a reason they don't call it catching. They call it fishing. Because it can take a long time, right? Fishermen have to go where the fish are. One of the great struggles for Christians is that the longer you're a Christian, often you become more and more connected with the body of Christ all your close friendships are other Christians and there's there's an upside to that but the downside is is if you're not intentional you will not spend any time with non-Christians and you won't be effective as an evangelist as a minister you know that's my vocation I have to work very hard to make sure that I'm spending time with people who are not followers of Jesus Christ because it would be very easy for all of my time to be spent with Christians. And so we have to put ourselves where the fish are. As a church, we make an effort. We are in all kinds of community events, You know, whether it's a woman's affair or the fair or golden days. or We try to be in all these different places. Give away Bibles, Christian books, talk to people, pray with people. Try to come alongside others. Try to volunteer in the community. We take the teenagers about once a month, not always, but, and, and go and serve in some way out in our community. We try to make sure that we are fishers, that we go where the fish are, where people who are not followers of Jesus Christ are. Look around at your workplace. You are where you are for a reason. Look around at your neighborhood. You live where you live. There are opportunities there, and many Americans we struggle with that. So often we don't even know our neighbors. We're so quick to just focus on our family. So we're so quick to just focus on screens and entertainment and stay in our homes. C.S. Lewis once said, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ. God became man for no other purpose. And so we need to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, follow Him, and walk out mission. Sharing the good news with those around us. We are a good news people in a bad world. A bad news world. I mean, you don't have to go very far at all. Literally, yesterday, A young man, a teenager, who came and he's part of the crew that cleans the church. We pay to have him come in and do certain sections. Other parts are done by volunteers. And literally, I'm standing in front of a 15 or 16 year old young man and his father had taken his life that day. How do you step into that? How do you be light? We had a conversation. I prayed with him. Our world is so dark. And yet, we, because of Christ, are light. We can step into difficult situations and offer hope and truth because Jesus is our King and we can offer good news. See, we were spiritually dead in Christ, but now we're alive in Christ. We're a resurrection people. The cross was not the end of the story. The resurrection is God's final Word We were sinners and rebels, but we're invited through the gospel to become saints, to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. We were powerless to defeat sin in our lives, and yet through the giving of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in holiness. And so Jesus is King, and that is good news we can share that with people. He is Lord, He is King, His kingdom is moving forward. We can invite others into it. We can be um, His fishermen. We can be another image images, His ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. I stand amazed that God entrusts us with the mission. But he does. I mean, some of you are parents and, you know, when your little kid comes and, I don't know, maybe you're trying to rebuild a deck or fix the car or whatever, and the little kid comes and says, I want to help. And you're like, great, it's going to take three times as long. But God graciously, like a good dad or mom does, invites his child to come in and help. And we get to own this mission with him. We have this incredible honor to share good news with people around us, to offer people who are in absolute darkness hope and light, to offer people who are overcome by sadness joy. We have this incredible privilege. One of my favorite passages is Isaiah chapter 6. I go back to it a lot where um, God's, there's this vision of God that Isaiah the prophet sees. And at one point, God says, who, who could we send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And God wants to send you to your workplace, to your neighborhood, to your extended family, to your friends. And so I encourage you to live on mission. The coming of Jesus shares salvation. The coming of Jesus offers eternity. We don't have to be afraid of death because Jesus walked out of his own grave. He tells us that he goes to prepare a place for us. We get to be a new creation with a new task. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus says this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. They wanted Him to stay there with them, this crowd. Jesus says, I've got work to do. I've got to share the good news. I've got to share this message. And so we each are invited into that. We are to point to Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost. We are to offer truth as He offered truth. In Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 through 20 is kind of the marching orders of the church people call it the great commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, "All authority, notice that word, authority. He is Lord. He is king. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples." Disciples are it's just like being an apprentice. We're to make apprentices for Jesus. That's what we're to be and that's what we're to invite others into. Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We don't do it on our power. We do it in partnership and cooperation with Him. Just like that little kid after you fix the car, build the deck, whatever it might be, and the project is done, and the little five-year-old's like, I did that. I helped with that. We get the incredible privilege of seeing somebody come to Christ, seeing someone's life change, seeing someone move from darkness to light, from sadness to joy. And we had a small part in that. Evangelism is something that makes non-Christians nervous. Like, oh, you're going to try to convince me of something it can also make christians nervous a lot of christians when you say the word evangelism they visualize a certain kind of evangelism like knocking on a door and when they answer the door you know well if you died tonight would you go to heaven or hell now i'll be honest that that's not my style of evangelism i'm an introvert that's like my worst nightmare And I, years ago, went through this class and it was a book and and there have been other books that have come off of this. Uh, Mark Middleberg kind of runs with it now. But um, this class called Becoming a Contagious Christian, I really appreciated it because I, I found it very freeing for me. And he talked about these different styles of evangelism, of sharing the gospel, sharing good news with other people in your life. There's the direct style, the very blunt style. This is the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 where he stands up in front of the Jewish people who had killed Jesus on the cross. And he says, you killed your own Messiah. You know the guy you waited centuries for? You killed him. And then he tells them, hey, you need to call in the name of the Lord. Hey, you need to repent be baptized. He, he calls them and points them to Jesus Christ. He's very direct in how he handles uh, pointing people to Jesus. That's Peter. There's the intellectual style. That's the Apostle Paul. I, I love it in Acts chapter 17. He's in Athens. And Paul is there. He spends a little time. He walks around the city. And he sees this, this, um, this altar, this monument, and it says to an unknown God, and if you dig into the story, the, the history of that is that it goes back to there was this plague in that particular town, and they cried out to the Creator God. They, they rejected a lot of the, you know, the Greek gods, and they just cried out, we just cried out to whoever made all this, the Creator God. And God stopped that plague. And they built this, this monument to this, the Creator God and said, we, we don't know much about Him, but we just want to acknowledge That he responded to us. That he helped us to an unknown God. And the Apostle Paul, I think, knew the story. Because he actually quotes one of the the writers. And he says, he walks around this place. He sees all these different idols. And he says, you know, this, this statue right here, this monument to an unknown God, I'm here to tell you about him. He's an intellectual. He digs in. He assesses. He evaluates a community. And what's the best approach and so maybe this is, you, you buy somebody a book like The Case for Christ. This is Lee Strobel's style. This is a guy who was a, a reporter. His wife comes to Christ. He sets out to disprove uh, Christianity. Spends two years researching it. Ends up becoming a Christian. And he puts this journey in a book called The Case for Christ. That would be an example of that kind of style. And so maybe that's your style. You give people books. You answer objections to the faith. You you share and that's your natural style. There can be the testimony style. It's hard to argue with someone's story. Maybe you were completely depressed. Maybe you were near suicide. And you found joy in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you tell that story. Maybe your marriage was hanging by a thread and God was able to step in and help with that. And you tell that story. Maybe you were up to your neck in an addiction and God came alongside of you and helped break those chains in your life. You tell that story. That's the testimonial style. He did some sort of act in your life. I think of John chapter 9, where a blind man was healed by Jesus, and they bring him in for like this theological discourse, and they want to investigate and and figure out about Jesus, these religious leaders, and the blind guy who's now can see says, Look, I was blind and now I can see. That's my story. The testimony style. Tell your story to people. Tell them about a time God answered one of your prayers. There's the interpersonal style. There's Matthew, who's a tax collector. And when he comes to Christ, um, you see a scene where he's invited all his people that were outcasts. Everybody hated them because they were turncoats or Benedict Arnolds. They worked for the hated Romans. And he has a dinner party, invites all these guys and brings Jesus and his other followers. And he just kind of mixes it up. Hey, let me introduce this non-Christian to this Christian, and I think you might click. That might be one of your ways of evangelism. There's the invitational style. I think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus has a conversation with her. Reveals who He is, that He's the Messiah. And she, um, He also reveals some things about her life. You know, She had all these husbands that had abandoned her. She goes into town when she figures out who he is. And she goes to town she says, Hey, come meet the one who told me everything about my life. And so she brings all these people to meet Jesus Christ. It's an invitation. When was the last time you invited somebody to church? It's not that hard. We're told in surveys that most people will say yes. Not everybody, but most people. And so that's another style. And so I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to stretch yourself in whatever your natural style is, to share good news with those around you, because these efforts, the results of those efforts, could echo into eternity. You could change someone's eternal destination because you took a relational risk. See, we love good news. We share good news. When we see a movie we like, we tell people about it. When we go to a new restaurant in Fairbanks, I mean, look at the lines, you know. We tell people about it. You know, if you, if you don't have cancer, you used to have cancer and, and the treatment worked or God answered in a dramatic way, you call up people and say, hey, I'm cancer free. I mean, we tell people good news in our lives. The, the coach, when he you know, calls a kid into his office and says, hey, you made the team. We love to share good news with other people. And God's good news, there's so much to it. You are loved. You're valuable. You can be forgiven. You can be restored. The Holy Spirit can dwell in you and you can be a new person. Jesus is King we're not literally living in chaos. God is sovereign. He is working even the bad stuff for our good. There is so much good news. And we are good news people in a dark place. And you see the kingdom of God moving forward. You see it advancing I appreciate what German theologian Jürgen Moltmann once said in a single sentence. He was trying to capture Good Friday to the resurrection. But I think it captures all of history in a way. And he says this, God weeps with us so that we may someday laugh with Him. He took our pain. He took our sin. He took our rebellion. And He paid the price so that we could be forgiven. You know, every minute, according to Dudley Rutherford in his book, Compelled, every minute around the world, 105 people die. Every minute. And their eternity is dependent on whether or not they accepted what Jesus Christ did on the cross and walking out of His own grave. I want you to feel the weight of that. You're not good enough to get to heaven on your own. If you're sitting here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to understand your list, no matter how impressive it is, will not get you into heaven. Only through what Christ did on the cross. Settle settle that destination put your faith in the lord jesus christ come and talk to us about that i think a great picture of evangelism of sharing the good news comes from the old testament kind of an obscure story you probably didn't read it this week 2nd kings chapter 6 and 7 the northern kingdom, so this is a pretty wicked kingdom. The Jewish nation, remember, split in two the northern kingdom, southern kingdom was Judah. So, Israel, the northern kingdom, under King Joram, rebelled against God, and God allowed a judgment against them. The Syrians came, and their army came, swept through the nation, and basically boxed in the army and the people in the city of Samaria, their big city. The people were starving so much that some had even resorted to cannibalism, which is just disgusting. And there were these four lepers at the gate in Samaria in this dark, desperate time. And these four lepers who were, I mean, it's, a, it's just, this is as desperate as it can get. Well, lepers were always out on the outskirts anyway. And these four lepers, they're like, well, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go to the invading army, maybe they'll show us mercy. So the four of them decide that they're going to go to the Syrians and just beg for mercy. And they go, and when they get to the camp of the Syrians, God has done this incredible miracle and scared off this entire army. They have they heard like they thought an army was swooping in on them, and so they just left fires going, they left equipment, they left food, they left riches, and they just took off. And so this camp is completely there. And so these these lepers go running around, and I mean this is all you can eat buffet. They are just chowing down, they're stuffing their pockets with anything they can find that's valuable. And then in second Kings chapter seven, verse nine, then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right, and I love this. this is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. And that's what they did. They went. The siege was lifted. The people could eat again. There was freedom. there was joy. It was a day of good news. Let's not keep it to ourselves. In Christ, there is freedom and joy and love and hope. You know, those early men, those apostles, they were not, you know, the A team, if you're looking. They were kind of a mess. They would argue about who's the greatest among each other. And and yet, at least a third of the world says they follow Jesus Christ. I've seen stats that say almost as high as half the world. It is the largest worldview. These unlikely common men literally changed the world because they grabbed hold of the mission. The last idea is this the cost. The cost of the call. Now, everything has a cost. Even something we might view as just a basic or even a luxury like coffee. I was reading in a typical year that Americans spend 18, not million, billion dollars on coffee. 18 billion dollars on coffee? That's incredible. Now, there's a cost to everything, right? And the cost of following Jesus Christ could be very, very high. As a matter of fact, one of the major themes of the Gospel of Mark that our passage is in is that Jesus is the suffering servant. This is a theme that's lifted from the book of Isaiah. And we see that when Jesus gives symbols of following Him and what it looks like, He used these severe, even offensive, offensive symbols the yoke of a burden, like with oxen, he used that as an image. The cup of suffering, the towel of servanthood. Remember at the Last Supper, he strips down and just, he's wearing like, he looks like a servant, he's washing the feet of all these folks. And finally, in his talks, he would talk about pick up your cross and follow me. We need to understand that there is a cost to following Jesus Christ. Now here in the United States, the cost has not been high. But I'm telling you, the cost is going to go higher. We better develop a backbone. Because I think we're possibly heading into times where we'll be like much of the church around the world. Where the cost to follow Jesus will be high. In the early days it was very clear that the cost was going to be high. Historians agree that there were ten great persecutions right out of the gate against the church. When you look, ten attempts to wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth. It began with Caesar Nero, who would actually put pitch on Christians and use them as torches for parties. Went through the reign of Diocletian. Diocletian killed so many Christians that he actually thought he had wiped out Christianity and printed a coin, issued a coin that on it said, The Christian religion is destroyed and the worship of the Roman gods is restored. But the church had gone underground. And it wasn't too long before the mighty Roman Empire even saw its emperor say that he became a Christian. Now, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. There's some debate there. But it is something we need to keep in mind as we raise children, as we pray for Christians over in Ukraine and other places around the world. I mean, there are about 60 nations in the world right now that are actively persecuting Christians. Actively. And so we need to see this Remember how our text started? Mark chapter 1, verse 14, the first part. And John, this is John the Baptist, was put in prison. You see, what happened there was he publicly rebuked the king because he had an incestuous marriage to his niece. And John called him out on that. And he ended up paying with his life. And I actually think that's, unfortunately, probably not a bad picture what the American church is going to face Because I think it's primarily going to come, not necessarily because we're preaching Jesus, but because like John, and because like the Scripture, Jesus as Lord teaches us an ethic. A morality. And so we're the lonely voice that speaks against sexual immorality, whatever it looks like in our culture. I mean, I literally have a friend who's a Canadian pastor, and he says, Derek, I could face fines... Or possibly jail, it is possible, um, he said, just for teaching the biblical worldview in Canada when it comes to homosexuality. Andrew, one of the, the fishermen that followed Jesus, had been a follower of John the Baptist. He was very aware the cost could be high. Notice what our text says again, Mark 1, verse 16 through 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. They were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I love this line. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little farther, saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed them. These are successful businessmen. And Christ said, you know what? You're headed into a different season. Your calling's going to look a little different. And you're going to follow me. And it cost them financially. It cost them doing something maybe that they even loved. And so we need to see that there is a cost to following Jesus. That when you say yes to Jesus Christ, He is not just Savior, He is Lord. I've shared this before, but I want you to get this, because I just hear so much of this, I guess I just call it prosperity gospel stuff. But I will tell you straight up, I had a plan for my life and following Jesus Christ wrecked the plan for my life. I is all mapped out. I'm very type A. And yet, it's a beautiful wreck. And it's exactly where I'm supposed to be. And Jesus knows me better than I know myself. There is a cost to following Jesus. Somebody's going to afterwards come up, "Well, wait a minute, I thought grace and, and the gospel, I thought it was free. It absolutely is free. But certain gifts have a cost, even if they're free. The illustration I go back to is, you know we've had five children, and the, the child is free. The shipping and delivery charges at the hospital are thousands of dollars. <laughs> and the sleepless nights for years on end, are costly. We're on our fourth child in college at the moment. It's costly. Beautiful, precious, free gift from God. And it costs a lot. Right? Does that make sense? Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who gave his life in the fight against Adolf Hitler in World War II. Is a Lutheran pastor who left America. He was in safety and he went back to his country because he said somebody has to go back and stand up. And he said this at the beginning of his book. had a profound impact on me in college. I read it called The Cost of Discipleship. He said when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the call. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, it's like handing him a blank check and you don't know what number he's going to write. If you're under 30, I'll have to come up with another illustration. I apologize. (laughs) All of the apostles, except John, were killed as martyrs. And John died as an exile in Patmos. Following Jesus is no joke. I don't know what it will cost you, but it will cost you something. But I love this passage. Mark chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. He's talking to Jesus. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life you know what he just said? He said, yeah, it's going to cost you. And it did cost you, Peter. But it's worth it. It's worth it. The big idea this morning is follow King Jesus, whatever the cost. He is worth it. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank You for each person here. I just pray that each of us would share the good news of Your Gospel with those around us. Lord, I thank You that we can be forgiven, that we step from spiritual death to spiritual life. I thank You for breaking chains in our life. I thank You for hope in the midst of sorrow. I thank You for truth in an age of deceit. Lord, we are so grateful for Your good news. And Lord, we receive it, and we are willing to pay whatever price to walk it out, to live it in this culture, in this time, at this moment. Lord, help us to be your apprentices, your disciples, and to share the joy of that with all those that we have influence with. This is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen.